The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. Hi, friends. It's Carrie Dahl. Thank you so much for venturing into the inner circle with me. If you subscribe to my podcast and have been listening for a while, thank you. I appreciate you. If you're new, welcome to my circle, where the power of story is honored and I believe all voices need and deserve to be heard. As a former news anchor turned podcast host and public speaking coach, I know that stories are the most powerful way we connect as human beings. I feel privileged so many of you trust me with your stories, whether in my private Inner Circle Facebook group or right here on my podcast. Your story is your gift. Thank you for allowing me to share it with the world. I am a huge believer in mentors. I've talked about their importance in countless podcasts over the years because I've had countless mentors over the years empower me, inspire me, and help me in all kinds of capacities, not by ever telling me what to do, but rather by showing me through the way they lived, conducted their businesses, and the values that led them along their journey. When I lost my focus, I would lean on them for perspective. When I was unsure whether the approach I was taking was the right one, I would ask them what they did to overcome their challenges. Mentors are not people who tell you what to do. That's not their role. That's the role of a coach, per se. Mentors instead walk the journey alongside you. Almost every person I've had the privilege of interviewing over the years who has overcome adversity or built a successful business has told me that a couple of keys to their success was a great coach and, of course, a great mentor. Mentorship can come in all different forms. If you are an entrepreneur, it may be someone who inspires you and empowers you, someone who's willing to take you under their wing and share their secrets to success or perhaps the failure they experienced that ultimately led to success and, of course, the lessons they learned along the way. Being a mentor is like paying it forward. Just think how great it would feel to know that you were a small part of someone's success, that you were someone's person that helped change someone's life. That impact cannot be overstated because there are so many different forms of mentorship. And today I am zeroing in on organizations that can have a life-changing impact. Big Brothers and Big Sisters is a beautiful example of how mentorship can and is changing countless lives. Mentoring in this capacity supports social and emotional development that's needed to help build resilience and promote the mental health and well-being of thousands of children. Here in our province of Alberta, children need you. Over a thousand children are on a wait list and spending as little as an hour a week with them can make massive difference to them and to their future and ultimately to our province and country's future. Research shows that being involved in a mentorship relationship has a positive impact on a young person's school attendance, social skills, attitude, and behavior with family and friends. When you mentor in this capacity, the time you give 
can help shape a life. So today we're going to dig into one such story. It's a story where a young life was changed thanks to mentorship. It is filled with abuse and hurt and grief and pain and love, love that eventually blossomed into success and a beautiful life. My guest today credits big brothers and big sisters for changing her life. January is Mentor Month, and they want to celebrate mentors and mentees. And today, Scotia Willow has bravely agreed to step into the inner circle and share her story. Scotia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I know we're going to be talking about mentorship and the impact organizations like Big Brothers and Big Sisters have and have had on your life. And we will get to that. But your story is so powerful. And I want to begin there. Let's let's begin by by talking perhaps about a very, very troubled childhood. Take us there. I guess it starts with the fact that my mom always kind of struggled to understand what love was herself and dealt with abuse throughout her life. Um, I don't know. She had experienced uh, sexual abuse for most of her early life. Um, And so when she was 17, she got married and wanted to get out of there. My two oldest siblings spent most of their life, most of their early life with my grandparents on the East Coast. My older brother and sister, they both have different fathers than myself and my other brother. And um, eventually my mom found herself in Calgary where she met my father, who was a troubled person himself. And uh, the two of them sort of were like, I guess, oil and gas or whatever it is, the, the terminology. And so that led to a long standing, emotionally, physically, sexually abusive relationship between the two of them, which produced my other brother and myself. And my one brother and I spent most of our life in, in Calgary, just dealing with the repercussions of the relationship that uh, our parents had with one another. And you saw firsthand a very, very unhealthy relationship. Yes. For for me, most of what I dealt with when it came to them, because I was the youngest, was more so the repercussions of what it did to my siblings and the after effect with my mom and the way that she would use sort of guilt and manipulation in order to try to control us, as well as sort of pitting us against one another. Whether or not she was doing that consciously or it was just what she had learned, that was sort of what we were raised with, uh, which I think directly related to why my brother ended up being my one full blood brother being um as angry as he was at me or taking his anger out on me from a early age i guess like what i know now about relationships and domestic abuse and and the intricacy of that kind of toxic relationship i understand it a bit more now when you look at it as a child it's kind of like it's very confusing as to why these two people would have stayed together at all <laughs> Yeah, my, my father is was diagnosed at one point in time with like a form of, like he's, it's not a sociopath, but he falls in those tendencies. And so his understanding of relationships and emotion and love and, and a lot of that is, is challenging for him. And my mom was 
was a woman who used manipulation as a way to get what she wanted. And I don't know how she, she learned that. I didn't know my grandparents, but from the sounds of it, her mother was kind of like that as well. She used love sort of as a weapon. Um, so there was a lot of guilt involved. And I think that something about that, they triggered each other quite a bit. He wasn't maybe able to give her what she wanted because he didn't respond to emotion the way that she wanted him to. And he responded with aggression most of the time and obsession. Anyway, somehow they ended up back together. They got married and I was born in 91. And then I believe within a couple of years, they were divorced because of the fact that, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of physical abuse, emotional. And my siblings say that he was also physically abusive to them. It's hard because I do know my biological father now. I was raised to raised to hate him and to think he's a horrible person. I don't feel that way. I feel like it's a complex relationship, but I I kind of keep my mind open to the fact that we are all sort of fallible humans. And so I, I kind of try to see our relationship a little bit differently. But for my oldest siblings, they sort of believe he ruined their lives and destroyed their mother. And it, it's understandable, like hearing the things that apparently happened did sound pretty severe. Uh, lots of control um, involved. And you can see tendencies in my oldest brother to behave in a similar manner. His father, my oldest brother, his father was always involved. And he, he's actually a pretty nice man. He, he's a good guy. But he's culturally different. He's from India. And although he's been here his whole life, he's moved. The method of parenting is different, I guess. And he always was more attached to my sister. So Alex was sort of on his own a lot of the time. Like he got left with my grandparents quite a bit on the East Coast. So he was somewhat raised by them. He graduated, both my sister and my brother, the oldest, they did graduate high school without any issues. They have lifelong friends. You can see sort of a difference in them versus myself and my other brother. Miles and I, we don't have the same thing. I have a couple of lifelong friends, but not many. I did not graduate school right away uh, the way that I should have. And I don't believe he did either. Um, I eventually went back to get a GED, but you just, you see some of these differences. And so anyways, so when they were divorced, my brother Miles continued to have that relationship with him for a period of time. So in most of his life, he's had a relationship with my, my biological father, my brother. I, I'm trying not to use names as much, but uh, I think he was really torn because he didn't really know where he belonged. He wanted to be with my, with my dad. My father had remarried to a woman that I, I really like, um, and they've been together for I, about 30 years almost now. She had two kids. They had what at least appears to be a stable home. And I think Miles kind of craved that and he wanted to be a part of it. But my mom would not allow that at all. So even though he had custody at one point of my brother, my mom would show up at his school and tell him how horrible my father was and how he needed to come home and and just a lot of, again, manipulation, guilt, fear. And she, I don't think, was a bad person, but this is just how she had learned to, like, she was afraid for him. She was, but, you know, and it's unfortunate because as much as I do understand that, her fear for my brother and honestly, my siblings in general, they all have the same fear for Miles. It's led to a lot of abuse for me. Yeah. So <laughs> Wow. Like, uh, I just want to pause for a moment, Scotia, and thank you for the vulnerability and the courage that you are demonstrating as you dig into, you know, 
I'm sure some extremely painful memories. And I want all our listeners to know that this pain will lead to love through Scotia's story. So uh, I just want to say that I want to honor that in you because I know that it, it can't be easy reflecting back on those years because you're your childhood was extremely troubled and even made more so by your brother. Can you tell us what happened? So uh, um, because of the struggles that my, that my brother um, went through, I think that some of that anger was easy to misplace on, on me because I was smaller. <laughs> and also uh, my mom, because of the fact that she was the way she was, she often sort of made me out to be like, not that I was her favorite. She did this with all of us, but sort of placed this, this idea of importance of me, even though it's all very, very contradictory to her, but this idea that, you know, I was the baby. So I was the favorite. And I think that that really caused some jealousy. There was a lot of jealousy among the siblings. And since my oldest brother was already gone, even being 13 years older than I am, my older sister, she was gone by the time she was 16, 15 or 16, she'd moved out. Um, it was basically just my brother and I on and off for years. Um, he became eventually like, physically and sexually abusive. So he, uh, he, without going into too many details, there were a few incidences of, of physical, of, of sexual abuse, but more physical. He, you know, would do things like, it's interesting because like a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's just siblings. Like when you, when it's uh, physical, you know, siblings, they just fight or so that's just normal for a little bit of hitting or punching or hair pulling. But like one thing my brother do, and, and we've talked about adults and he didn't really understand, but was he would have chunks of my hair out of my head. He'd grab like a fistful of hair and just rip it out. And I would stay still and kind of even laugh because I was... I was trying to show how strong I was or like how I was impervious to whatever it was. I wanted to be cool. Um, and eventually I sort of developed a bit of a, like I would I would call it sort of stock because I wasn't captive, but he was an abuser who I eventually, his needs became so much more important to me than my own. Um, and that unfortunately has uh, followed me throughout my life in many different relationships this idea that that the person that you love on your own, to a degree, it's important to care about the people who you love, but you have to pay attention to how they treat you. With my brother and I, he he was really conflicted because of his feeling like he didn't really belong anywhere. And there was a lot of jealousy within my family created by my mom. I would say sort of always pitting us against each other. Um, I was made out to be the baby and that I was special, but yet at the same time, there was never any kind of protection involved. And so I think Miles just, yeah, he took a lot of his anger out on me. And so there was a few insta instances of sexual abuse. Uh, one of them led to him being put into a uh, group home for a period of time. And then, but he'd always end up coming back because he was, to me, it always felt like he was more important than I was. His needs were more important than mine. I, there was always this rhetoric, even till today, that, that it's not his fault. And, and, you know, it's understandable because he was just a child when a lot of that stuff was happening. But it, it has led to, led to conflicting feelings for myself as well, because I had that same feeling towards him. Oh, well, it's not his fault. And when you have that kind of a feeling that 
that does go out into other relationships. And I've I've struggled with sort of uh, creating boundaries uh, with people that I love or that I care about and allowing a lot more abuse into my life because of that relationship as a child. He also was very physically abusive. So he did things like, I remember one time he chased me up the stairs with a knife and slit my leg. Another time, like rubbing battery acid on my face. He did this thing where he would pull hair out of my head by the chunk. um, And I would just stay as still as I could because I thought that 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 made me cool or that made me strong. But it, it made me learn to stay as still as possible when someone's hurting me. And when you learn that, it's hard for people to know that they're hurting you because they can't see it. And so it, it's it's just it taught him to be more violent and it taught me to take violence. And so at one point, yeah, he was taken and put back, put into a group home, but he always came back. In the years between my birth and about eight, we had an incident where they put us all into foster care. The three of the younger ones, my older brother was already gone at this point. My brother was put in by himself and my sister and I were together. That was just, it was a weird time. But from there, my mom actually kidnapped us from our foster homes and brought us to the States. So we were in the States for about three months or four months. She used a underground contact that helps those like victims of spousal abuse. And then after that, we ended up back in foster care and uh, she did win that case. So we all were back at her, her home. By the time I think I was about four, that was over. And so I think that some of that led to some of that confusion and violence as well, because he was always separated from us. And I think that for Miles, that made him angry. And then at that point, that was when he was supposed to go and stay with my father for a while. And my mom just wouldn't allow that. So she kept bringing him home. And it was, was just like, this constant choice of mile in a way like his safety, his needs were always more important, even if he was being violent because it wasn't his fault. And my siblings still to this day sort of have it. Yep. How was your mother aware that he was abusing you? Yes. Yes. She did know what was happening, but she didn't do anything to stop it. I don't think that she knew how. I mean, if you consider the fact that she stayed with my father for as long as she did, being abused by him, I think that maybe she thought it was normal or it was something that she couldn't control. I I know for sure she was aware of the physical abuse. I don't know now how aware of the sexual abuse she was. I don't think there was as many incidents of that as there was of the physical, but I think she just felt conflicted. Her fear was that if she left my brother with his dad, our dad, that he would get worse. She thought that she could control this it. Re- How did this repeated cycling in your childhood affect you later in your teenage years and early adult years? What did life look like for you as a teenager and beyond? Uh, so by the time I was a teenager, I had been taken away from my family and I had been put into foster care and then adopted. So I as a teenager, those relationships sort of, I, it was hard because I i kind of had this confused idea of what like love was. And I was confused about my own value and my own worth as a person um, at that point in li- life, something I still sometimes struggle with. As So as a teenager, I didn't start until I was about 15 or 16, but around 15 or 16, I started to 
use more drugs. Like I would use cocaine and mushrooms and ecstasy and started with pot, but pot wasn't the the gateway drug. I would say alcohol is the gateway drug to me because everything kind of was easier to do when I was drunk. And it made me more promiscuous. So I, I slept around quite a bit. I didn't have that. I didn't understand that sex could be special per se. I just thought it was something that you do or like that is expected uh, to a degree of me and relationships didn't really last because I was pretty flirtatious. Like I, because of my inability to really understand like control regarding sexuality, I wasn't maybe the best partner. I mean, who is really as a teenager, but nonetheless, I wasn't the, uh, the easiest. And so I was always sort of looking for the next thing. I was not very stable. Um, the home that I was adopted into had separated uh, into two different homes. So I was jaded from that. And I didn't really believe that there was any kind of hope um, of like a stable life, I guess. I didn't know what that looked like. And I kind of figured I was destined to sort of just live this. I don't know even know what I thought. I, I so Scotia, think I was when... somewhat suicidal from a young age. Like I didn't really see much of a future. Have you ever thought... I'd love to have a podcast just like this one. Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You were suicidal at one point? I think throughout most of my life, I've been sort of passively suicidal. There's been a few times where I've, I have attempted it a couple times as a teenager and once in my early 20s. But most of the time, I think it was just like, I didn't really understand what the purpose was of my existence. So it was like, if I, you know, I would take too much of things because I wasn't really all that afraid of the outcome. Uh, I just, yeah, I took a lot of risks that were probably a bit extreme for someone of the ages of 16. You know, the, the things that I was doing were dangerous at any age, but pretty extremely dangerous for looking back now. I think I just didn't care what happened at, at the end of the day. When did life change for you? And when did two people by the names of David and Pam come into your life and change it? So with, um, with David and Pam, they were a part of our, and I think David actually might still be involved with Big Brothers. He's such a, he likes to be involved in everything. He, they actually came into my life before I went into foster care uh, when I was nine. Um, I spent a few, I think it was maybe a few months, maybe a year. It's hard. My memory is are, are a little bit confused. I don't, things don't kind of, they're not linear for me. So trying to remember dates and times can be hard. But I had my first experiences with them when I was quite young. And uh, they introduced me to like this different kind of life. Pam and David were 
your David and Pam, they were very stable. They were the opposite of everything that I had ever experienced. Pam, I think at the time, had just purchased a dance studio. And so she would bring me there and I could see her setting it up. And she was very theatrical. So we would, she would dress me up in costumes. And there's one specific time that I think where we put on Cinderella for David in their basement. They've lived in the same house the whole time that I've known them. They had a beautiful family. They actually, one of their sons even went to school with my adoptive father, which we found out later. And there's always just been this connection with them. Uh, with David, it was the one of the first males in my life that I had ever, ever trusted. And so I guess like with him, it's lasting. I, I've always had this kind of a strange relationship with women, a kind of like fear almost. <laughs> uh, whereas with, with men, I was always too flirtatious. But with David, that never existed. I never felt like there was a, he never was, it was threatening in a physical way. And so they treated me, it felt like it's just like one of their own. He, him and I would, we built a dollhouse. That's one of the memories. I think I bring it up all the time. Um, we built a dollhouse for his granddaughter who was around my age, but he also made me this beautiful easel because I loved to paint and draw and was artistic. And I carried that thing around with me everywhere. It was a flower. And, and it just, it showed me that there were good people. There's kindness in the world. And uh, some people were stable, I guess. And with, uh, they introduced me to their family too. So I, I knew their kids and their grandkids. But um, when I was put into foster care, I wasn't allowed to have maintain that relationship because they knew my mom and my mom was incapable of letting me go at the time. For example, she she hunted down the foster home that I was in and she kind of stalked me as I walked around the neighborhood. And I didn't know that at the time. I found out later. But these reasons made it so that the system didn't want any of those connections to be maintained. They wanted me to be as far away from it all as possible, which is just interesting because I did end up all the way back with my family. <laughs> but yeah, so with, with them, they had given me this little taste of life that I... I kind of admired and appreciated. I, and I didn't, I held that with me for a long time, but I think that uh, I always still felt removed from it because it was like, this isn't my life. This is, this is theirs. And so, although I had had that little taste, I still was who I was. And I was still sort of being moved from home to home to home with no real stability. So when I was adopted, though, I was allowed to look up some of those relationships that I had had. And I re reopened that door with Pam and David. And we would see each other on and off for years, not always consistently. But I got to know they got to they got to watch me grow up, I would say, to a degree. And I think that if I think that for them, that was a rewarding experience. I like to a degree to see the the little girl and then all the trouble that I went through in life. And then to see me now sort of working on bettering myself and getting to a place that, that I think that they wanted or what I think that they saw me being capable of getting to. I was one of those kids that people always thought was a little bit precocious. Like I asked a lot of questions. I'd rather talk to the adults a lot of the time than to play with the kids. I was... I was smart for a kid, I think. And so it was something that people people saw and they were hopeful that that would carry me. 
being smart is not enough to carry you in life, <laughs> but it does, it does help. Um, but yeah, so, so in the last few years, I guess my, my fiance and I have been together for seven years and they've gotten to meet him from the beginning. We would have dinner, I think once a year, a couple times a year, go to events that they have. They always treated me sort of like, like family or a close friend. And so it's been beneficial to have that in my life and that stability and see that, that there are some things that are continued throughout life and some things that are stable and actually getting to know them as an adult, it was interesting because it made them more human. When I was a child, they were almost mythological. I don't know if that's the right word, (laughs) like, because there was only happiness and moments of joy like money was never an issue with them whereas money was basically the biggest issue that we always had growing up and so it it just felt like just different uh, with them not that that was why i (laughs) that's not why i wanted to be with them it was just there was a difference there was an ease there was a calm that didn't exist but knowing them as adults they've you know they've told me stories about themselves as they were young adults and figuring out their own lives and And it actually has helped to, like I said, humanize them a bit, which has made me feel, I guess, more capable of turning my own life into something. So Scotia, you just threw down in an answer. You said my (laughs) fiance. So can I, I want to know the level of healing that you had to go through to get to a point to bring us to today where you have university education, you're going to get married. Tell us how all that transpired, because it's, as you pointed out, you lived a life where relationships, uh, you know, abuse was your normal. That's what you saw growing up, but now you're at a place that is so, so different. So tell me about the healing and what brought you to where you are today. Okay, so I guess to get to like where I am now, I hit what I would consider pretty the the biggest low that I had gotten to. I had just gotten back from I st- I spent a year in Kelowna, uh, trying to get a little bit of education, and it was it didn't go well for me at all. I came back really depressed. I graduated with like great grades and everything like that, but socially I've always really struggled. When I came back, I started to sell car wax (laughs) and you can make a lot of money doing that, but it's not a fun job. (laughs) And I met a boy who saw all of the easy ways to take advantage of someone like me. And even though I could see it from a mile away, I still sort of let it happen. And I ended up in an incredibly abusive relationship for about a year and a half. And um, I don't think I had ever experienced that level of abuse. It was, it was very confusing. My head was all twisted. And again, because I had been taught that like, well, it's not their fault. It's something that you've done or something that someone else has done. He played into that so much. Obviously that's not my fiance, (laughs) but uh, he really played into the, oh, poor me kind of thing. Everything's not my fault. It's everybody else's. And look at how good of a person I am while doing some things that were very obviously scary but you know i remember one day he held a knife to his throat and threatened to kill himself and i ran the other way because to me he was bigger and i honestly didn't really believe he would do it but afterwards i was guilted for months for not trying to save him you know it was these kinds of these kinds of things that he would do and that was just to himself and so it took me 
it, it, it took me basically getting to the point where like, I couldn't even hold a conversation. I was hollow at like the worst that I had ever been um, until finally that ended. Our friends sort of stopped it for us. They cut the communication because I think that we would have depleted each other to the point of one of us dying. And luckily he he's from Ontario. So he went, he went back to Ontario and I uh, stayed in Calgary and I slowly started to heal. I moved in with my, with a girlfriend at the time and her partner. I got another job. I started, started to feel like I had more value, got involved with a social life and removed myself from the people that I had been around for that year and a half that watched all of that happen. And it, it helped me to sort of grow. And I did find like, uh, my partner and I, or my fiance and I, we met really close to the end of the other relationship, which I know for some people that can sound like a negative thing, but he was not a rebound by any means. He was somebody that had seen me in my lowest point and still saw all the good in me. And that helps me, I think, to start seeing it in myself again. He was not the kind of person that would yell at me or make me feel bad for, for things that people had in the past. He never pushed me to be more physical sexually than I was able. He's always been very, very patient that way with me. And although I was really promiscuous as a, when I was younger, I was always intoxicated. So intimacy sober was like this whole other thing for me. And I, at times I still struggle with that. I was easier to be out of myself than in myself with those kinds of things. <laughs> and so we've, we've worked on that a lot over the years. And it hasn't been a straight line with that either. I mean, I've gone up and down because mental health isn't something that is just over one day. Like you, you, when you struggle with like depression or anxiety or whatever it is, it, it's an up and down thing. And uh, he's just one of the first people that I've ever met that has had the patience to be able to deal with it all the time with panic attacks at three in the morning where I'm up and think I'm having a heart attack or also with the fact that I have a very confusing family and how I love all of them, even though everything is even even with all of the darkness and the bad, it, I love my whole family and and he's able to accept that even if it's difficult. He came from a completely different kind of background. Uh, his family, they, both his parents, his, both his sets of grandparents were married for years from the time they were quite young, I think like 18, 19. And his paternal grandparents actually just passed away in the last year and they were in their 90s and spent their entire life together. And his parents have been married for over 40 years. So his background is very stable. But it's just funny because we both met each other in this weird, dark place. I think he was trying to escape his own back, his own childhood expectations the way that I was sort of trying to find mine. And in that we found each other. We got a little bit of help over the years from my family, but not not too much because I mean, there's not much mine has ever really my adoptive family has been able to help. I don't have a good relationship with my adoptive father or that side of the family. And my mom, I, my adopted mom, I do, but she does she's not able to help with very much, even though she'd like to. And I was still struggling, struggling to kind of find myself, find the right job. I don't hold down a job very easily because I'd always hit sort of a ceiling. My educational level when we were first started dating was dropout of high school. So there's only so many jobs that you can get, but I, don't, I, I needed something more. And so there would always be this kind of wall that I would hit. 
And socially as well, that's something that I've had to work on really quite a bit. Being in a work environment, I get confused as to tell the type of relationships I'm supposed to have with coworkers, with managers. I want to put all I can out right from the beginning, but then I find that it ends up being sort of in a way, another type of abusive relationship. They're like, well, you need to work at 150% all the time. And if for one second you don't do everything and you don't say yes, then I'm suddenly this bad kid again, or this bad person that's not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And so I've been getting a lot of therapy for that kind of stuff so that I can understand that it's okay to say no when I do enter the workplace again. But um, before we moved to Ontario, I did actually start working as a um, homeschool teacher slash personal aide for a little girl with cerebral palsy. And it was amazing. I did that for three years and I loved it. And that helped that helped a lot with my healing, actually, because it showed that I was able to be consistent. I could be creative. I could do more than what my educational level said that I could. And so I did that for three years. And in the third year, I started to go back to school. So I went and I uh, got my GED. And then I decided to start going to university. And um, it's been slow, I but I'm I'm happy to be doing it and I'm excited to get there. To be honest, the, the pandemic kind of hits hit, hit while I'm still working on my uh working on getting my degree. So things have been kind of rough that way. Um, but luckily I went to school online. I chose Athabasca, which is an online university, and that put me in a good place for with with the pandemic happening. When we started going to school, my my fiance decided to go back to school at, at one point as well to try to up his own education level and uh, his parents who we have a really good relationship with they and they had the ability to they asked us to to move to Ontario and they wanted to give us an opportunity to try to get ahead because if we're both working and going to school it's sort of like you know a hamster wheel sort of cycle it's it's possible you can you can get your education you can do better but it's just slow and so the i think it was 20 2020 yeah it would have been 2020 in that new year's chris proposed and so we've been together for five years i think at that point and he's i think figured before we moved back to his parents house <laughs> that mm-hmm. he made wanted to make it more wanted to make it seal the deal or whatever and um we are planning to get married in the next couple of years mm-hmm. but again that's <laughs> pandemic's been in the way but um yeah we've been trying to grow together i guess over the years so incredible Incredible. Like I'm, I'm so, so thrilled for you. I, I want to close with this question. How much of your success today do you credit to David and Pam? What did that relationship with big brothers and big sisters and that mentorship relationship do for you? I would say that that mentorship relationship with them helped me to understand that I can communicate and fit around different types of people that I shouldn't be afraid to be comfortable in situations that maybe seem outside of my class level or my they just they introduced me to different kinds of like culture they introduced me to stability and happiness and and I've always held that sort of with me so I you know with my life now I guess in some ways I try to emulate the the level of respect and partnership that I think that Pam and David had. I was lucky because I got a couple who, you know, they were 
retired, I think, by the time that I met them. And so they were able to show me sort of what they'd built. And in that sense, that has stayed with me. And I and I think, yeah, that 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 I do try to keep that in mind in my day-to-day life, that nothing happens overnight. And that I saw the I might have seen the end results, but that they got there from from a mutual respect from one another. Yeah, they taught me that relationships can have love, I guess. How grateful are you that there are programs like that out there that you were able to have that in and out of your life during some of the most challenging times? And I ask that because I want other people to understand that if they're in a position to give back, uh, how important mentorship programs like Big Brothers and Big Sisters are. I'm really grateful, actually. I've spent most of my life since I've met them talking about them. And those memories that I've had with them, I think that is incredibly important that if you have the ability to mentor, that you do. But the children are really sensitive. They've been through a lot, most of the kids. So they do need that that person that is stable and is able to offer them like kindness and understanding. But also, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an amazing opportunity for anybody because you're going to gain just as much as you give, I think. I, and I personally one day would like to mentor myself. But again, I think you need to be the right, you need to be in the right place to do it. But it is incredibly beneficial that you change people's lives, I think, when you do give yourself that way to the kids. I'm so grateful to you, Scotia, for the way that you stepped into the inner circle today for sharing at the level that you have, and I'm sure empowering countless people who are listening in probably, I I listened and just tried to understand what you've been through and how much resilience and strength and courage it must have taken to bring you where you are today. I'm thrilled that you are marrying the love of your life. And you said a puppy and are even children in the picture. Is that something you would want to pursue? I love kids. I've always wanted kids, but right now it's not something we're thinking about just because neither of us are in a place to do that. But who knows, maybe one day. But yeah, we have our little Corgi who's a, who's a big enough, full of energy now. And we also have a cat. So we've got our, like a lot of people my age, we've got our fur babies right now. So, but in the future, future maybe more. We'll, yeah. we'll have to see what life brings. Scotia, thank you for the brave way that you stepped into the inner circle today. I really, I appreciate all that you brought to open our eyes to the power of mentorship. Thank you for having me. I end today, friends, with this thought and perhaps this rhetorical question. Have you ever given any thought to being a mentor for someone? Do you know that an hour of your time could be life-changing for someone else? The Alberta Mentoring Partnership is a collection of agencies all across Alberta that provides mentoring in their programming. All you have to do to sign up is go to the website, albertamentors.ca. And I want to leave you with this. Our province is in need of mentor volunteers. Do you know that over a thousand children are on a wait list just hoping for help? And as I mentioned at the beginning, you could be that help. You could be that bright light. You could be that person just like David and Pam were for Scotia. You could change a life. Give it some thought. If you're looking for a way to give back, mentorship may be for you. Thank you all. For listening today. I appreciate you and your time you've given us. 
I want to end today by extending my gratitude to you for listening. You know, time is our most precious commodity. We don't have enough of it most days. So I am so grateful that you shared some of your precious time with me. Thank you so much. For show notes and links to our guests and everything we talked about today, you can head to my website, carriedoll.co. That is C-A-R-R-I-E-D-O-L-L dot C-O. Once you're there, you can find links to Instagram and Facebook. You can sign up for my newsletters and get information on my public speaking courses. I want to empower women and people everywhere to use their voice, to invest in themselves, and to be comfortable anytime, anywhere, giving a powerful, unforgettable speech. Come with me. Join the movement of the inner circle. Let's go on this journey together. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.